0: tonight here we've been doing revelation and we're in chapter 8 this is a really neat section chapters 8 and 9 uh, are the seven trumpets uh, now about to be be sounded uh, devastating images now of God's judgment we have spent up to this point uh, preparation of these judgments to come remember in chapter 6 we have seen the seals begin to be opened Each of the seals has revealed to us that partial judgments are coming and the concluding seal, that sixth seal of the seven, has revealed to us that it is going to be sweeping widespread devastation that it would be lights out for a nation. We haven't been told specifically yet, but we're getting some clues along the way about who is the object of God's wrath. And so chapter 6 was prophesying that these events were about to happen. Chapter 7 was a little bit of a pause, but that's kind of to say something loosely because before the judgments can happen, the people of God must be sealed. And what was revealed for us in chapter 7 is that God's people are going to be spiritually secure and safe. The promise was they're going to die. They're going to go through this great tribulation. There's going to be extreme persecution and suffering, but those that do die in this time, they are pictured as victorious. They're the, around the throne of God and with the Lamb. And so chapter 7 was a message of hope and encouragement to those Christians that though they will suffer and though the fifth seal revealed that many would die, that it will be okay because their salvation and their eternal life is certainly secure, though they suffer on the earth. That brings us to chapter 8 as now the judgments begin to unfold. Notice chapter 8. And we'll just go ahead and read the 13 verses of this chapter for tonight. Verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel." Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who have the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth... The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. We have to stop there just because it would be another hour to do chapter 9, but it just continues on with the trumpets. And Lord willing, we'll get to look at chapter 9 next Sunday evening. So the first thing that we encounter in the first five verses of chapter 8 is now the seventh seal finally opens. We have been watching these seals unfold and what we get with the seventh seal is different from all of the other seals. We get silence then for half an hour. If we had time, I think it would be fun just to sit here for half an hour and just listen to total silence and I think you would recognize how eerie that would be. That is just it makes us uncomfortable for there to be a long amount of silence of just no talking and especially when you think of the scene that we've had There's all sorts of commotion going on in the throne room, right? I mean, it has been all sorts of noise. We've got the 24 elders and they're bowing down and casting crowns. And the four living creatures are crying out, holy, holy, holy. And we've read that the throng of the angels are surrounding and they're also singing out. And we've read this great multitude and they're praising God about how salvation belongs. And so you have all of this noise going on and suddenly it all just stops. And for half an hour, there's silence. And this isn't unusual in the scriptures either, because the prophets speak about this kind of imagery of when silence happens, something big is about to happen. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 13, you have Zechariah calling out, For all the flesh to be silent before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. The call of silence by Zechariah means. God is now about to act. Something as big is about to happen. We've been talking about it in the book of Revelation. We've seen the images of the things that are to come. And now is silence that happens throughout heaven. And what does that mean? But that God is now moving. God is now in action. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 21, you might know just because we have a song. That one verse line song. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Again, the picture was to Habakkuk, God's now acting. It is time for everyone to remain silent. The Lord is in His temple. He is ruling. He is on the throne. He is about to act. Let all the people be silent and watch as God is now going to move into action. So that's just simply the picture. Sit silently and watch. Time to pay attention for God is about to do these things. And if you'll notice then, verses 3 through 5 is the carrying out of the imagery of that and is an amazing, simple, but amazing picture described here. Verse 3 shows there's another angel. He comes onto the scene. He goes to the altar. He has his golden censer there. He is given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of their incense, which is the prayers of the saints, are rising up before God. So here is this great picture. Here is this Angel, and he is offering incense on his golden censer, and that represents the prayers of the saints going up before God. Now, we've seen that earlier in Revelation. Remember, we've seen that, and we can know what the prayers of the saints are for. They've already been asking that back in chapter 6. How much longer? When are you going to do something? We are suffering here. When are you going to act? And so now we see the visual representation of that the prayers of the saints are going before the throne of God. They're rising in front of Him. And in verse 5, we see now what happens. The angel now takes his censer, fills it with fire, and throws it to the earth it is now God responding with judgment. And notice the the leashing out that's given there. Peals of thunder, rumbles, flashes of lightning and earthquake. When you hear that language, that's how God acts. That's God's response. And it certainly conjures up imagery back to Mount Sinai. When God comes down to earth there at Mount Sinai, and He's giving the Ten Commandments what is happening in all that scene. Well, basically what you read there, rumblings, flashes of lightning, earthquake, this is God in action. And so that's what the first five verses are showing is now God is responding. He's been talking about what's going to happen. Judgments are now going to be unleashed. So the things that we are now going to read about through these next few chapters is God responding in judgment against this nation who has been persecuting the people of God. And so we're set up for for the action that's about to unfold. And so each of the angels, there are seven angels, we're told in verse 2, And it says there, each of them are given a trumpet. And as these trumpets blow, it is not going to be good for the earth. Each of these seven trumpets is a picture of a cataclysmic event and judgment that is happening upon the earth. Notice the first trumpet. Begins in verse 6 and verse 7. Where we see the first angel blows his trumpet and it says there that there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. Uh, Very severe imagery given here. Hail mixed with fire that's mixed with blood. And the first thing that comes to mind and we'll see this in many of the trumpets is it hearkens to a little bit of the imagery of the ten plagues. It sounds an awful lot similar. Remember, one of the plagues was similar except for the mixed with blood. You had hail mixed with fire raining down on the earth through the plagues that happened as Moses was there as God judged the nation of Egypt. This again is not uncommon. Throughout the Scriptures we see hail and fire mixed together in all sorts of usages that God is judging a nation. Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 22, we read, With pestilence and bloodshed I will enter into judgment with Him. I will pour out torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur upon Him and His troops and the many peoples that are with him. A strong picture when hail is mixed with fire, same imagery, judgment. Probably the most famous that you'll remember, the cities of the plains. Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, those cities are destroyed by burning hail, coming down upon those cities because of their wickedness. Now the thing that is curious is there in verse 7, notice that there is only a third that is burned up. That is something that needs to be eye-opening. And as we read through this, you'll notice He keeps saying a third every single time. It's a third of the rivers, a third of the seas, a third of the earth, a third of the trees. He keeps moving through all of those judgments and He keeps reminding that there are thirds. It is a reminder to us that these are partial judgments. This is not the final judgment against this nation yet. It's coming. But not yet. And that's not surprising because we know this is how God operates. And we'll read about it when we get later on in the end of chapter 9 and chapter 10. Partial judgments with the intention of getting the people to repent that's the way God operates. He begins these tragedies and distresses and judgments. And the purpose is for the people to recognize that they are in sin. They need to turn back to God before it is too late. And so partial judgments are announced. These severe uh, calamities are striking the people. The point is to get them to turn back to God. We'll get later on in the book and we'll see. It doesn't work. And therefore, a final judgment that is brought. So right now, that's the intention is let's get them to return back to God before it is too late. And so a third of these things are described in verse 7. A third of the trees, a third of the earth, a third of the grass is burned up. And so is a picture that of trying to bring about their repentance before it is too late. Zechariah chapter 13 does the same thing in talking about a partial judgment when it says, in the whole land declares the Lord Two thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one third will be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one's refined silver and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on My name and I will answer them. I will say, they are My people. And they will say, the Lord is My God. Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9. That has the same picture. There's going to be a remnant and the rest are going to be destroyed. He's trying to bring about purity, repentance. Come back to God before it is too late. So these judgments are coming from the hand of God. Trying to get the people to come back before it is too late. In verse 8, we then read the second trumpet. And it says there that there's something like a great mountain burning with fire that was thrown into the sea. Now it's certainly... Fun, quote unquote, to read what a, a lot of people do with this imagery that we're gonna see some cataclysmic volcano is going to erupt and it's gonna burn up you know a third of the world, and so be sure to watch for that. And anytime that starts happening, you know, that's people get a little jittery about that. But that's not talking, A, about a literal event, and B, of course, dealing with the time here in the first century. This is symbolic and it is consistently a symbolic image for the overthrow of a kingdom. A great mountain always in the Old Testament stood as a symbol for a powerful nation, a great kingdom is going to fall. Like in Jeremiah 51 and verse 25 where Jeremiah said Behold, I am against you a destroying mountain, declares the Lord, which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags and make you a burnt mountain. As Jeremiah prophesies against Babylon, he's saying they're going to be destroyed. That kingdom is going to fall. He's not walking up to a mountain and going, well, that mountain's done for. We're just sick and tired of that and we're to get it out of here. Symbolism, a nation is going to fall. And probably one of the easiest reminders of that is over in Daniel chapter 2. Remember in Daniel 2, you have this imagery of this enormous statue that has all these different metals. And at the end of that vision, you have this stone that strikes the feet of the statue destroying and pulverizing that statue. And remember what is told. That stone then turns into a great mountain. And he says that's the kingdom of God that's going to be set up as a mountain that would be immovable. It would never pass away. A great mountain stands for a kingdom. It stands for a nation. And so Daniel even prophesied of that is that the kingdom of God is going to come and it's going to pulverize all the world nations. When we read here this imagery of a great mountain being cast into the sea, it is the overthrow of a nation. But notice, once again, we have a third going off. So again, we're not full bore into the final judgment of this nation. It is partial. And that's why you see the language of a third of the sea becoming blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea dying. A third of the ships were destroyed. It's trying to show this is going to be severe judgment. But it won't be the end yet. It's simply a partial trying to bring about a nation's repentance. If you've been with us in the Wednesday night study, you'll know the direction I'm going with this more. I'm trying to be a little more elusive in our study, just to be honest that the text so far has not been straightforward in telling us who is the one being judged. One of the fascinating things about how Revelation operates is we're going through these chapters, and he has not just come out and said, okay, it's you, oh, and fill in the blank nation. He hasn't done it yet. I don't think he gets clear about it until chapters 10 and 11 where he's going to become, I think, extremely explicit and unavoidable. So that's why I'm being vague to you. Not that I don't have an opinion on who this is, but I'm, not, I'm trying not to color your opinion of who this is. And I just want you to see the pictures that are being unfolded here so that we'll understand that somebody's getting it. There's a nation that's about to fall and Revelation will tell us that nation soon enough. Verse 10. A third trumpet then blows, and we see a great star falling from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Now, it would be easy to speculate and say too much about, well, what is this great star? But he tells us in verse 11 that the name of the star is Wormwood. And that is a big, very important clue to tell us what is going on. Wormwood was a plant that's found primarily in Palestine. And it was a plant that was Very bitter to taste. And God used that imagery often to describe what was going to come against the nation of Israel and the judgments against Jerusalem. Particularly, it's Jeremiah who likes to use this imagery of wormwood. For example, Jeremiah 9, verse 15, when he speaks to Jerusalem and Judah, he tells them, Therefore, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, I'm about to feed this people wormwood and give them poisonous water to drink. Now, if you go look that up, you might have a train Translation that doesn't say wormwood, it'll say bitterness. That's the meaning of wormwood. So don't think something went wrong with your Bible right there. If you have a translation that says, says that, wormwood's the literal. The meaning is bitterness. And so the point is, here's God saying, this nation, this people. They are full of idolatry. They are full of sin and wickedness. Therefore, because they are bitter against me and sinful against me, I'm going to do the same to them. And I'm going to cause them to live bitterly. And the idea is they are going to suffer bitterly. And so I'm going to feed them wormwood. I'm going to give them poisonous water. They are going to suffer for their sins, Jeremiah twenty-three verse fifteen. Therefore, this is what the Lord of Hosts says concerning the prophets: I am about to feed them wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. And so that's the the imagery that Jeremiah uses, and that's what Revelation is referring to when you read here in verse eleven that here comes the star named wormwood. Notice what its effect is a third of the waters became wormwood, bitter. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. You see the parallel imagery that is being used. And the idea is that with wormwood, the punishment is fitting the crime. God uses that in a reciprocal nature in Jeremiah. The people did this against me. Particularly, they polluted themselves with idols and sinfulness. Therefore, I pollute their waters. So, you see the symbolism going back and forth. They lived a polluted life against me. I'll pollute them, and you'll see the suffering that they will receive because of the sins that they've committed. And so, that's the parallel that is going on here. Their suffering is going to be bitter because of their bitter wickedness, how they have been polluted in their lives against God. And so, that's just the simple picture that he's working with here because of their sins. Here is God acting in verses 10 and 11 against them because of their sins. The other important phrasing to get in in verse 10 it says there it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water the springs of water is is an important phrase especially because that is the way god describes his judgments against jerusalem and judah because that was their primary water source that was the main way they got their waters and that's why jeremiah would use that to say guess what's going to happen to your springs of water wormwood It's going to be bitter. You're going to suffer. It's going to be awful. And so that's the same picture here by talking about the rivers and the springs of water is that it's going to be horrible suffering. It will be bitter punishment. The judgments are going to come against you. He even points out there in verse 11, many are going to die from this, but don't forget, only a third, partial. This is supposed to cause the people to repent. So this suffering is going to come upon this nation. The intention is to get the people to come back to God before it is too late. Verse 12. We now hear the fourth trumpet. Fourth angel blows his trumpet. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars are struck so that only a third are darkened and a third of the day is kept from shining and likewise a third... Of the night, So we see the third of the sun, moon, and stars. I hope I have trained you well about this imagery now that this imagery is very easy to understand. We saw in chapter 6, about verses 15 through 17, that all the sun, all of the moon, and all of the stars are struck. And that's why we said, here is a picture of the end of the nation. We'll see that all throughout the Old Testament when the sun goes dark, when the moon doesn't give its light, when the stars fall from the sky, this is God's way of saying, end of the nation. They'll no longer see the light. They are over and done. Therefore, since we only see a third here, we're again being told it's not the final end of this nation yet, but it's going to be big, it's going to be severe, so that they will come back. And as we just read in chapter 7, this is the imagery of the great tribulation that's coming upon them. Remember what chapter 7 said? Here are the servants of God. They've come through the great tribulation. The great tribulation is what Jesus also spoke about in Matthew 24. Here's this great tribulation that's going to come. It was going to be awful. People of God are going to be killed. And then He talks about the things that would happen after that. So same thing that's going on here. Here is a nation receiving God's wrath and their due wrath because of their sins. And so this is the big warning that God is giving and now these judgments are unfolding against this nation because of their sins. Verse 13 puts a little bit of a pause in the story where we see an eagle. Verse 13, I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. And the things that this eagle says... I think would have been awfully terrifying for anyone at that time. Because the eagle says, Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. First thing he says, there's more to come. You thought those first four trumpet blasts were bad? You thought that was tough? Guess what? woe, woe, woe. Three more woes to come. Three more judgments are about to come. And notice what He says. If you thought the first four were bad, these three are going to be worse. If you thought the first four were bad enough, and we've already read people are dying, they're suffering, He says the next three will be even more severe. And so the things that are about to happen, He says... Look out. You thought the first four, look out, here comes some more. What's interesting about the eagle is that it is typically used in the scriptures as a harbinger of doom. You'll read about the eagle's use from time to time in the Old Testament. God uses this eagle as a symbol. When you see the eagle, it's not a good thing. God uses this eagle, and it's always, uh uh-oh, big time bad is coming along. We need to watch out. Like in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we'll read in verse 49, here's what God is telling the nation of Israel. Remember, they're about to go into the land of Canaan, blessings and curses. Here's what's going to happen to you if you disobey God. Deuteronomy 28 verse 49, The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle. A nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation that who does not respect the old or show mercy to the young. Same imagery. When you see an eagle, bad, bad, bad. Here comes a nation against you, Israel, and it's going to destroy you. They're a nation from far away. They do not speak your language and it will be your doom. I don't have the time Write down Ezekiel 17, go read it when you go home. In Ezekiel 17, a great parable there is a parable of two eagles. And it's not good news there. It's a parable of one eagle swooping in and clipping the top off a tree. And it's a picture of this is the end of Israel, the end of Jerusalem, the end of the nation. Because their top has been lost and the second eagle comes in and destroys the rest. Harbinger of doom. It's bad. It was symbolizing Babylon was going to come in and destroy Jerusalem, destroy Judah because of their sins. That's exactly what was promised in Deuteronomy. As we see, Deuteronomy 28, commit sins, violate God's law. The eagle, a foreign nation, is going to come in and destroy you. Same thing here in verse 13 of Revelation chapter 8. Here's God saying, I've given you your partial judgments. The woes have come upon you. You need to repent because guess what's going to happen? Here's this eagle symbol. A nation's coming in to destroy you. It's going to be your end if you don't turn before it's too late. Now, I know none of you have to go to work tomorrow, so we can do chapter 9, but uh, I wish we could. It just flows right in. You'll notice there in verse 1, fifth angel blows trumpet. We've got a lot more to do. We have to stop right there. So I do hope you'll come back next week and we'll keep on going because the partial judgments are still going. Some more things need to be described and told in chapters 8 and 9. Please look at chapter 9 because there's some really strange imagery there. We're going to start reading about scorpions who are wearing helmets and have women's hair, and you're going to go, what? And so we're going to talk about that. So it's good to read ahead and go, okay, well, here's what we're going to see. and It's some strange imagery, and we'll talk about what that symbolism means. It's just a couple of points for conclusion, some takeaway from Revelation for our lives as we go through the week. A good reminder that th- what this is doing, God always offers opportunity to repentance. God always offers that. One of the things that we get to learn in Revelation is a consistent theme throughout from the Old Testament to the New, is that God is long-suffering. He is so patient, wanting everyone to repent. Here in Revelation, we could have just made this book a lot shorter where chapter 5, the Lamb opens the seal and bam! Okay, nation done, over and gone. Instead, partial judgments. We've seen chapter after chapter some dragging out of the imagery to try to warn the people. Turn back before it's too late. God cares about His people. God wants them to repent. And so He's offering these things in their lives. These calamities and tragedies are happening as a reminder to them, you need to seek after God before it is too late. And I think that is one of our great lessons as well. One of the things that Elihu tells Job... As the three friends make big mistakes in trying to teach Job, Elihu comes on the scene, the only person not rebuked in all of the book of Job. And he tells Job, there are things in life that often happen to us and they should be used as opportunities to draw near to God. He says, these things happen to us as an opportunity that we will turn away and that we will understand that we need to follow after God before it is too late. Like Job 33, verse 19, here's what Elihu said. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest of foods. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that they were, not, were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit, and his life to those who bring death. And we jump down a couple of verses to verse 29. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times with man to bring back his soul from the pit that he, might, he may be lighted with the light of life. He says there, you need to look at things and use opportunities in life to turn back to God. We never know when that's the case. That's always certainly the struggle. But it is always to be a reminder to us is that suffering and difficulties are not intended to make us run from God. They're supposed to be used as opportunities to refine our faith, to make us stronger, to draw near to God, to seek Him out, so that we will not stray away from Him. And Elihu tells Job that. He says, I know you've been through the ringer. Draw near to God. Don't turn away from God. And I encourage you to do the same thing. with other, Whatever struggles and difficulties you may be facing, the book of Revelation, the book of Job, both remind us, seek after the Lord before it is too late. Seek Him with all of your heart. Turn away from your sins. Use the, your life's challenges as opportunities to serve God, to refine your faith, to show why you believe in Him with all of your heart. And we invite you to come to Jesus this evening to turn away from your sins, to be immersed in water, to have your sins washed away, and to begin a relationship with Jesus. Won't you do that tonight? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing this song?